Hello, and welcome to the School and Society Podcast. I'm Stephanie Aragon. I'm Sam Christie. And I'm Erica Heyerman. Today we're here to discuss teaching for a new society. As teachers, educators, parents, or students, how do we push forward for a better education system? One that celebrates and supports all students and families. We'll first be discussing the article, How One Elementary School Sparked a Citywide Movement to Make Black Students' Lives Matter by Wayne Au and Jesse Hagopane. You can find this article on rethinkingschools.org for a bit of background. Our story takes place on, at John Muir Elementary in Seattle, Washington, an old brick building situated in Rainier Valley, nestled between Rainier Avenue South and Lake Washington. The students at John Muir Elementary are more than 50% African-American, 10% Hispanic, 11% Asian, and 11% identify as multiracial. That means that less than 18% of their student body is white. The school has done some incredible work with their students, staff, and PTA to actively work on issues of race and equity. Within the school, the community, and the PTA all support the school in their Black Lives Matter um, campaign. They have an art teacher that designed a Black Lives Matter t-shirt, and Deshaun Jackson, an African-American student support worker, organized an event called Black Men United to Change the Narrative an event where black men would line up in front of the school to welcome students and praise all who entered the school at the beginning of the year. Unfortunately, Breitbart picked up the story and the school received hate messages and even a bomb threat. This threat caused the school to officially cancel the event. There was bomb sniffing dogs in the morning, but the event came through and they celebrated regardless. There were people outside the school, there were drums, and the community came together. First, we'll be discussing the lessons that we can gain from this story and the example of this school and the community. So something I really thought was important from this was the idea that all of the teachers rallied around and they all showed their support through the idea of wearing like a Black Lives t-shirts. And... I think that really is important when I'm thinking about myself going into a teaching position where I'm going to be placed as a white authority figure. And I think it's important that I show my support for Black Lives Matter and other causes that, like, these teachers were, they were wearing a t-shirt and they got, like, hate messages and everything. Mm -hmm. But it's important that we stand up for what we believe in, especially when we're placed in a position of power and authority. Mm -hmm. Because when you're silencing a voice in power, then you're allowing the status quo to remain as is. And uh, I think for me is, uh, I was, um, I wasn't really involved, but I remember uh, teachers at my school talking about John Muir and what they were doing for um, the Black Lives Matter. Uh, And us talking, we're like, oh, I wish we were doing that too. And so the next year, it it started like being like all the schools in Seattle. So um, I was really happy we were we were able to do it at our school too. But we did get some parents that didn't approve, mm-hmm. and those parents that didn't approve didn't send their kids to school that day that we were doing the Black Lives Matter uh, day. So interesting, yeah. Uh, Yeah, thank you, uh, Erica and Sam. I had a lot of the similar experiences in a preschool that I worked at where we had a Black Lives Matter week. Um, And in my opinion, what the greatest lesson I got from this story is that working with these issues of race and equity, our greatest asset is the community. And often, schools are segregated by race and income, but also from the community. Uh, Schools are seen as a separate entity. Mm -hmm. They are places that can be intimidating and scary, even for adults. Um, So in this article, we have a wonderful example of how important community is to support schools and vice versa, and how wonderful it is to help educate and bring in the community as a whole, because um, it takes a village to raise young humans, and we're just one piece of the puzzle. Um, I loved your example, Erica, of how this school um, and other examples inspired your school to take on the same event. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that 
something that we forget as educators often is that we also are educating parents yeah who don't know like about the intricacies of these issues Mm -hmm. and they might be scared that we're talking about things that aren't appropriate Mm -hmm. in school Mm -hmm. but um through what we've studied in our uh, school and society course with uh, Dr. G, <laughs> we've learned that it's absolutely a- appropriate and necessary yeah. to mm-hmm. discuss issues of race and equity in classes um, and to reach parents where they are mm-hmm. and to explain how we do that in developmentally appropriate ways. Mm-hmm. I think this is also important to think about that this needs to be done continuously and throughout Mm -hmm. the year and not just during February Mm -hmm. I know I've seen a lot of like different programs who focus on Black History Month and you know oh we're gonna put out like um the school I was at we did a coloring book about Black Lives Matter and it was great but it was all based around February Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and when February finished it's almost like okay well what's next Mm -hmm. so I guess the importance of this is a year-round topic this isn't something that just pops up you know once every 12 months and it's something that you know it needs to be integrated into the course we need to we need to be reading more diverse books to kids that you know they show more than just white students Mm -hmm. because they're going to get enough of that in the rest of their life where Mm -hmm. it's going to show a white narrative we need to show diverse different we need to read diverse books show different kids teach about less famous people too like Mm -hmm. We talk so much about Martin Luther King Jr. and Rosa Parks, and they're great, and their contributions were great. But there's it almost frames it so it's like that those are the only people that did anything. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's important that we touch on other people who also stood up for civil rights and like even like even more modern times, you know, mm-hmm. people that aren't always well known. Absolutely, Sam. Thank you. Um, I totally agree, and I think that it also frames the conversation as being in the past and finished and done, and it doesn't recognize people who are continually doing the work Mm -hmm. today, which is another reason why I love this article so much, speaking about this contemporary issue in a local Seattle school um, of people who really made a difference and inspired other schools to follow suit. One thing when you made me think of when you were talking about this work being continuous is also the um, analogous metaphor of uh, like race work being continuous and there's no such thing as being a completely finished anti-racist person. It's a continual work that we all need to forever work on within ourselves and our communities. Um, So I totally agree that it's easy to compartmentalize Um, Black Lives Matter and things like that into February. But this continuous work is extremely important. And I loved in this article that we're discussing the example of the social equity educators who worked in partnership with this school to create a three-point policy proposal that would serve an ongoing campaign to support Black Lives Matter in school and aid in the struggle against institutionalized racism. Um, Their three points were to support ethnic studies in all schools, to replace zero-tolerance discipline with restorative justice practices, Mm -hmm. to detract classes within the schools, to undo the racial segregation that is reinforced by tracking. And I think that this is a wonderful example of both involving the community in the school's work and in doing continual work and holding our schools and ourselves account accountable to not just keeping um racial issues in the month of february i completely agree uh these are also like three very strong things i feel like we've talked about quite a bit this quarter in class Mm -hmm. is you know the idea of like we watched the precious knowledge video about ethnic studies and how powerful and inclusive and how good they made people feel like Mm -hmm. It was a place where students who were like, I'm normally quiet, I normally don't do well in class, they come to class and they're talking and they're involved and they're enjoying it. And there was like a student that actually mentioned like, I'm actually sad when I'm not here. And that's an amazing thing that, you know, that's something we all strive for when we're teaching. We want our kids to want to be there. Mm-hmm. And that the fact that that's one way you can do it is like, why have we not implemented it? That is what I feel like, you know, like, let's have kids feel welcome and excited about school. 
Yeah, and um, I think this um, uh, is a part of the school to prison pipeline mm -hmm. uh, because um, a lot, especially targeting uh, black students and uh, black boys. Oh yeah, because mm -hmm. yeah. uh, when you when studies have shown that um, a lot of people who are in prison are usually the ones that are pushed out of school or yeah, suspended totally. or expelled. Yeah. So I think these... Uh, the zero tolerance yeah. policy really pushes them. Right, it does. Yeah. yeah. It also shapes how children see themselves. Mm -hmm. If they're told that they are problem students or mm -hmm. troublemakers or treated differently by teachers their whole lives, it's hard to be able to do that freedom dreaming and imagine yourself in a better place and really have that self-confidence that's necessary. And I think that also circles back to the idea of having role models yeah. and having people to look up to that look like you, that are successful. Mm -hmm. um, we know that when we look at most teachers, they're white women. When we look at most policemen, they're white men. When we look at most politicians, they're white men. Um, and there was an event actually uh, two summers ago where I was helping to host a nature preschool conference and we had a wonderful woman speaking um, uh, and she is a black woman who was talking about this issue and towards the end of her speech she opened it up for some questions or thoughts and there was a white teacher in the audience who was a bit abrasive and who said that she felt anyone who didn't want to be in her class because she was white was being racist towards her. And it was a room of probably 600 people and it was uncomfortable to feel and hear. Um, after the, the woman who was speaking responded eloquently to this um, to this uh, kind of ugly comment. Um, and then at the end, I went and found the person who had said this, and I said, hey, you know what? It's not about us. Because yeah. we as white people end up making it about us. And that's mm -hmm. something that has taken a long time for me to learn. Um, you know, when there's a kid who's growing up in your school who doesn't look like you, their parents just want them to see people who look like them yeah. to be successful. Like, anyone would want their child to have a role model that looks like them or have someone to connect to or to look up to. And I think that really circles back to, Sam, what you were saying about um, finding modern examples of role models and that Martin Luther King is amazing. Um, but there are, and we should definitely 100% talk about him, but there are also modern people who are doing this work who people can see who are still um, around day to day. Um, yeah, who students can relate to and say, you know what, I can do that too. Exactly. Um, that uh, really kind of connects to our um, next question, um, which discusses um, how you will um, engage in larger community engagement, family involvement, um, and bringing the world to your students. One way that um, a teacher I was with for the last two years, she really tried to get family involved and community involved, was we would have family and community nights, mm. and they would be bilingual. So we, we had, um, during half the day, the kids would be in the English classroom, and during the other half of the day, they'd be in either a Spanish or a Mandarin classroom. Mm. So I was with the English-Spanish side, mm. and we really, like, the teachers with did a really good job of, you know, these parents, they're working. Or, yeah. Like, they have something they have to do during the day, so let's host something at night where they're welcome to come. They can bring their other kids. Like, they don't... It's, not a thing where you have to find a babysitter you know mm -hmm. bring your kids with you this is a school like yeah we like kids um so we did like family community nights and then we did things around like math too like where it'd be like math nights and it'd be all in spanish or like there'd be some english overlap too and it was really cool because a lot of the people in the class like they spoke spanish at home and it's like look this is a way your family can get involved and these are some fun activities and they could actually go home with like 
um, different games and ideas. So I thought that was a really cool way that, from my experience, I've seen family and community get connected through school. Yeah. And uh, um, I was in the same school Sam volunteered at, or was at. Uh, I remember, um, not last year, but the year before, in first grade, one of the family members that is in second grade last year came and um, did like a, oh, today we're, um, is the, we're celebrating like, uh, I think it was Hanukkah, and like, no, it was like a Jewish, like, uh, New Year's. Mm-hmm. So she came and brought treats for everyone. It, it was like a, a Jewish, like, uh, treat. And she had everybody try it. And I was impressed that a lot of the kids actually tried it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it was great to see, to bring her culture in. Oh, yeah, so it's, what is it called? R- Rosh Hashanah. R- Rosh Hashanah. Rosh Hashanah, the yeah. Jewish New Year celebration. Yeah. So she came into the classroom, did like a, like a little presentation of what it is, and, and she brought in uh, trees for everyone, and the kids really enjoyed it. And yeah, I think that was awesome. Um, a way to get the... Um, bring in the world to the students I would think I would I would do like visual field trips online mm-hmm. like going to the pyramids in mm-hmm. Egypt I love leaning, that idea yeah the leaning tower of Pisa in Italy yeah just you know just because you know that's that's a part of history yeah, yeah. especially with technology being more available to us yeah like, we can show the kids places around the world without paying, like, a million bucks to travel there. Right? Yeah. <laughs> um, another wonderful way to bring in the world and celebrate community um, is to welcome families and family culture into the classroom mm-hmm. um, while also respecting and understanding that people work during the day. Yeah. Um, you can have family events that are later in the evening Mm -hmm. after some parents are off of work or you can have them on the weekend Mm -hmm. you could do a poll to find out when people are free and have multiple smaller events Mm -hmm. um and I think that being flexible to a parent's schedule like alleviates a lot of stress from parents Mm -hmm. um there can be a lot of pressure on parents part to be involved and to um, show that they care about their students' education yeah. when, in the reality, parents who aren't present at the school every day um, still care about their child's mm-hmm. education. Mm-hmm. They just sh- are able to support their children in different ways, yeah. and they need to do things that are important, like working. And I think that as teachers, um, always seeking to understand first. Mm-hmm. Um, always leading with kindness and respect in all relationships with parents and families Mm -hmm. is of the utmost importance. Um, In my preschool class I used to teach in, we would have a once a month story time where we'd invite um, a parent or a member of the family to come and read a story. And it could be a story from home. um, And I would screen the stories just to make sure that um, there's nothing that is... uh, non-developmentally appropriate for children (laughs) and they were always fine they're favorite stories and it was really special to see um families even bring stories i had never heard from from different places in the world Mm -hmm. um they would also share snacks during this time Mm -hmm. and then we'd have once a month once a season event which are later in the evening um and also to let parents know they're always welcome but that it's not at all required Mm -hmm. um and to really help them feel supported and to create that that kind of community um, yeah. that brings people together. I think that's extremely important. Um, I think that's a really nice way to balance windows and mirrors too, because mm-hmm. you're bringing in things that, you know, some kids are going to be like, yeah, this is like what I grew up with. This is a mirror for me. And then you're going to have the other students who are like, I've never heard this. You know, this is really cool. Like, let me see how, like, how can I connect this to my life? How is this similar or different? Mm-hmm. You know, that's a really good way to balance that, especially for students who aren't necessarily always reflected in, in the books and the curriculum so it's a nice balance 
and to bring in different role models as well. Yeah. Um, and I think that uh, a lot of educators look like me personally. Um, I am a white woman. Um, and so in my classroom in the future, um, I want to make sure that the parents feel welcome in the class so that they can be a representation for students in the class who I don't look like. Um, and to bring in community partners and people they can look up to, whether it's a local chef or a firefighter or um, a member of the community to help build those connections for children, but also to help them see people that look like them in positions of power and um, being successful and uh, in their dreams and aspirations for the future. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I... Is the, I think is important is doing um, like literacy I know like for first grade and second grade and beyond sometimes they do reading logs mm -hmm. that they have to do at home for 20 minutes and I think it's important for like students who speak another language at home it's, it's okay to read your home language yeah. as a part of as you know, a part of the reading log it doesn't always have to be English mm -hmm. so the class I was in, too, the students, they did a lot of independent reading. And I noticed that, like, towards the end of the year, quite a few were reading books in Spanish. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool. And it was fun to sit down with them and be like, hey, can you read with me? Yeah. And they love it. Mm -hmm. And it's so cool to see, like, these students who are, like, normally really shy and quiet. And they're like, yeah, I'll read to you. Yeah. That was really fun. Yeah. That's a wonderful example of how reading can be made to be something empowering mm -hmm. instead of something that you dread because mm -hmm. um, it's so regulated and oh, yeah. um, doing it the wrong way is shamed. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, uh, for me personally, this program, which we are all a part of, the Masters in Teaching uh, LTEP program at UW, um, is the first time I've ever seen educators encourage students to give responses or answers in yeah. a language besides yeah. English. And yeah. I think while we are looking to think how we can teach for a new society and how we can change structures and expectations, I think that that is one huge way yeah. that could make a mountain of a difference for a lot of students. Yeah. yeah. Even like being a, a, a past EL student, you know, if, if I would have had that opportunity to um, use my Spanish yeah. for, my, for my assignments, that would have been like amazing, but I always had to use English. Oh, you have to do English, you know, you uh, have to do it mm -hmm. in English. And, um, you know, for me, learning English was a little harder, mm -hmm. uh, but, um, and sometimes the teachers would tell my parents, oh, you don't speak to her in Spanish at home. Mm -hmm. she's, she's gonna, She's not gonna learn English as fast if mm -hmm. you speak only English. And my mom was like, "No, we have to keep the Spanish. I can't yeah. have her lose her home language, her first yeah. language that she learned." Yeah, it's so, so wonderful that your mom did that and was yeah. that um, like confident in herself and <laughs> how important this is. Um, my cousin, um, she doesn't speak Spanish at all because. When she was younger, she spoke Spanish fluently mm -hmm. until she was about four or five. And then um, it was either her preschool or kindergarten teacher told um, my aunt and uncle to stop speaking Spanish to yeah. her at home wow. because it was confusing. Yeah. So because in class, they would do different things. Like they drew a picture of themselves and were labeling their hair and their mm -hmm. eyes and different parts of their face. And the teacher showed it as an example of her mixing up English and Spanish for different, mm -hmm. for different things. She was identifying and saying that she was going to struggle in school. So, But she still knew the content. Yeah. She still knew the content, and she was like, completing yeah. the assignments, and yeah. she was being very thorough. Yeah. But they said that she was doing it wrong, and she was... Wow. Um, so they cold turkey kind of stopped speaking Spanish to her, oh, and like made an effort to stop yeah. speaking Spanish at home. Wow. So um, she speaks English, and you wouldn't ever know that she could have spoke anything else. Yeah. And I think that that's also an example of how teachers can have a negative effect on yeah. like a student's identity right. um, and just by that one teacher making that comment to a parent and making mm -hmm. them feel like 
their child was at risk or not going to do well because they were causing harm by speaking another language, mm-hmm. she's now unable to at all. Um, I'm also unable to because, but I'm in a different situation. My mom didn't speak Spanish, and so it wasn't mm-hmm. culturally in our house because there was no one for my dad to speak Spanish to. Mm-hmm. Um, but my cousin did have both of her parents who were able to speak Spanish, and it was lost in a yeah. single generation. Wow. Um, so while we're thinking of teaching for a new and better society, I think it's important to constantly continue to assess our actions as a teacher Mm -hmm. and to continue to evolve them because just as anti-racism work is never done Mm -hmm. um, teaching for anti-racism work is never done and in five years maybe we'll realize something we've been doing that a nuance of a way we implement something is not working for kids Mm -hmm. and I think it's better to change that and to address that than to continue doing things the same way because that's what we're used to um yeah and yeah I would totally like in my classroom I would totally like encourage families to keep keep speaking their language at home yeah don't stop because it's such an asset you know it's so it's great to have another language and you know since I'm doing bilingual I'm going to be doing uh immersion I would you know encourage the family hey you're speaking Somali at home continue speaking Somali they'll come here to learn yeah. Spanish and English they're gonna be like multilingual whoa and I think as teachers it's our responsibility to constantly be checking our own perceptions yes mm-hmm. and uh-huh. you know I think there's too many teachers in the system that think of the idea of if you can't communicate it in English you can't mm-hmm. you're uh, you must not be thinking it right yeah. and that's what I find really frustrating too is you know I might have great ideas in my head, mm-hmm. but just because I can't say it in a super fluid way mm-hmm. that, like, it's, like, magical, like, yeah, then it's assumed that I don't know it. Exactly. And that's mm-hmm. super frustrating. Mm-hmm. And I think that also circles back to teachers traditionally being unable to accept not knowing mm-hmm. or to be open about not knowing something yeah, totally so i would rather say you're unable to do this than i'm unable to understand your mm-hmm. um your language uh and i think for me personally looking forward uh i want to decenter like authority from myself in the classroom as mm-hmm. much as possible yeah. and i want to situate myself as a learner like I'm learning too and if you learn another language oh my gosh that's so amazing like and if they are wanting to like they could like teach something small they could share something they know Mm -hmm. um and not in a way that like calls them out that's like what is the word for this and they're like ah Mm -hmm. why are you calling me out for the class (laughs) but if they are wanting to share something um, or express an assignment in a certain way to help them feel empowered and that, wow, yeah. that's a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, something I've grown grown in my personal identity through this quarter um, is that I've decided that I'm not sure why I never took it up in my own accord to learn Spanish. Mm. My grandma's always wanted me to and I've always oh, like shrugged her off. Yeah. But I think I want to start learning. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think when I'm a teacher, that's a great way for me to show mistakes mm-hmm. and to show someone who's mm-hmm. trying something new because if a student is learning English and making mistakes, they could see me learning in Spanish and making mistakes yeah. and being silly and open and non um shamed about it but Mm -hmm. to kind of laugh together and to say oh my gosh I made a mistake can you help me fix it and then when they're making a mistake they can feel comfortable to do the same that's kind of like me like I you know I'm gonna be teaching Spanish yeah but of course I don't know all the words in Spanish so I'll be where you know being like, oh, let, let me Google Translate. Let yeah. Me, what does this mean? Yeah. <laughs> How do I say this in Spanish? Because, I mean, I'll be, you know, learning with them. Yeah. Oh, wait, this is how you yeah. say it in Spanish. Yeah. You know, because I don't, I'm not like the the dictionary, Spanish dictionary. Right. You know? <laughs> You're modeling using your resources. Right. Yeah. And yeah. you're um, modeling not being shamed about not knowing everything. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that will empower students to ask questions and to feel comfortable with not knowing yeah um i definitely felt like last year in my um 
my class, there was one student who was often framed as a difficult student. Mm. And I think one of the times when I was working with him that I related most to him, and I feel like I felt like we were on the same page and we really mm. connected, was he had been told to go... We had a back table, so he had been told to go to the back table because he wasn't doing something mm. in his in his class. And so he was just sitting back there with a book that he wasn't really reading, but it was written in Spanish, and it had pictures, and it was associated with... Like, the picture went with the word. Mm-hmm. And he was fluent. Like, he can fluently speak Spanish. Um, so I went back there, and I'm like, you look really bored. Like, yeah. I'm like, hey, I haven't... I, I was talking to him, I'm like, you know, I haven't taken a Spanish class since I was in high school, but, you know, I, I went up to the AP, so I had five years. Yeah. But do you think you could teach me? Like, mm-hmm. because he, he wasn't looking at the book. He wasn't interested. And then all of a sudden, he's like... Yeah. yeah. So like we get to the words and he'd be like, you didn't say that right. Ah. Let's try that. You got to, you got to oh, wow. roll the R a little more there. Oh. And he could totally tell me and he got so engaged. And then like oh. one of the teachers came back over to get him and he's like, 10 more minutes, 10 more minutes. Oh. And I'm like, okay, well we're almost done with the book. Like, can we have five more minutes oh, to finish? And it was, I've never seen that student so engaged and it was so much fun. And you did that by positioning yourself as a learner. Yeah. By taking the shame of not knowing away. Yeah. By giving that student power Mm -hmm. and empowering them. And he loved it. Yeah. One, um, in my preschool class, we would start our morning with a, like, song every day. Um, And then upon realizing how many wonderful languages there were in our class, I worked with parents to... um, to learn the hello good morning song in their language and so oh, every morning awesome. we we ended up singing it in so english spanish oh. french oh, wow. chinese oh, russian wow <laughs> um, and then a couple more that i can't remember at the moment but uh the students would often be really excited who spoke those lang- those mm-hmm. languages at yeah. home and like your story sam mm-hmm. they would as preschoolers would be very willing to let you know if you said something wrong. <laughs> um so i was working on a couple of them and they're pretty oh turkish was another one that was pretty challenging for me <laughs> um but the students would end up somewhat being the leaders of that song, and so I'd be with the rest of the class kind of following along yeah. and trying to remember the words of them, um, and it positioned them as, like, leaders in the class, and I think that's, that is one example of mm-hmm. how we can empower students. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and position um, knowing a different language not as a detriment, but no. a, right. a... It's an asset. Asset. Yeah, an asset, definitely. exactly. Yeah. Um, you're not necessarily, like, an... English language learner, you're like dual emerging dual language, which sounds yeah. so much cooler. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that was for identity and equity. Mm-hmm. I believe that reading was, but I love the idea of not calling it English language learner or English as a second language mm-hmm. or any of the terms it's been, but emergent bilingual because it decenters mm-hmm. English. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like, look how amazing you are. You know mm-hmm. multiple languages. Like, how many people really, like in the US, really know multiple languages? Yeah. Like, that's incredible. And once you learn Spanish, it's easy to pick up French. Mm-hmm. It's easy to pick up, you know, Latin. I mean, uh, Italian and mm-hmm. Portuguese. All those Latin languages. Like, yeah. I pick up a little bit of Italian here. Buongiorno. And <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. so cool. Yeah. I'm so jealous of you. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wish, I, wish um, I had that same sort of background. Mm-hmm. And... I think that it's something we can strive for, but it's so much easier to learn when you're a child. Yes. And it's so much more authentic to learn when you're a child. Mm -hmm. And so I think that helping students hold on to that Mm -hmm. is such an important part of our work. Um, Because it just takes like one teacher to shut it down Mm -hmm. and then it's quickly lost. Mm -hmm. Um, Or one parent. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. true. And that's what my biggest fear is, is going into this, it's not introducing these hot topic ideas to the kids Mm -hmm. is the parents and like how do you balance that of parents coming to your room and being like no I don't want my kid to learn this or I don't want you to talk about this like in front of my kid like it's such a hard balance yeah Yeah. I had a lot of parent meetings um Mm -hmm. 
last year, um, my class implemented both Black Lives Matter Week, and we also celebrated Pride Month in my class. Oh. And so there were quite a few parent discussions about it. Yeah. Um, and the biggest thing was myself making sure I'm knowledgeable in child development, mm-hmm. um, and then letting them know, like, we're not going to talk with this age student a preschooler who's maybe four or five or maybe any elementary school student the same way that an adult would talk about these issues right Mm -hmm. the same way that these issues would be talked about um in the news or on podcasts or among adults um it's not developmentally appropriate Mm -hmm. to talk about them the same way and then explaining in a way that is approachable Mm -hmm. and um understandable for parents exactly how you do approach these issues Mm -hmm. and then realizing that oh I actually do want my children to understand equity I do want them to know how to stand up for others I do want them to know that being different is okay Mm -hmm. and that people shouldn't be shamed and so when you break it down to like what the lessons actually look like Mm -hmm. the parents often and at least my case in preschool class Mm -hmm. with looking at pride month and black lives matter week the parents for the most part ended up coming around and really supporting it Mm -hmm. even the ones who were really unsure in the beginning Mm -hmm. and I think that as teachers as future teachers um, there's a lot of anxiety around parents and about how to talk to them Mm -hmm. but I think that assuring that we do talk to them and don't just keep it cold because if you're not communicating Mm -hmm. then they're going to make up whatever story they think is Mm -hmm. happening Mm -hmm. they're going to think oh my the teacher is telling my student all these inappropriate things Mm -hmm. they're giving them positions on political Mm -hmm. issues Mm -hmm. and um I think that as new teachers making sure that we have develop a positive rapport in the beginning of the year and continually keep that conversation open Mm -hmm. um, and take the time to be willing to Mm -hmm. explain these issues to parents Mm -hmm. Um, and I know as teachers we're strapped on time but I think in the long run um, it'll be an asset to both our class and our teaching I would rather take more time throughout the year to have small meetings for parents to discuss uh, these issues then halfway through the year or at the end of the year have um, parents who are extremely uncomfortable with the class or who feel um, unconnected and aggressive towards me as a teacher. So I think that we should and can still address these issues, um, even if they're really difficult. Um, And that circles us back to our beginning conversation about bringing in the community and making sure the community is involved because when the community... Uh, is behind you they're behind you and they'll support you and they'll be outside your school rallying your students to come in on the first day um and that's what I look forward to as a teacher yeah yeah okay great so now we're gonna talk about the um the documentary precious knowledge and how will you embrace the shift of the culture in your classroom based on love and joy, um, and also building relationship, linguistic choices, materials, etc. For our listeners, the film Precious Knowledge is about Arizona's um, public schools and about ethnic studies and the fight to keep those um, in the state of Arizona. Mm-hmm. And for me, uh, like Sam already mentioned, like uh, the students that were mentioned in the documentary Precious Knowledge, um, you know, it was, they were studying ethnic studies, history of their own culture, Mm -hmm. and those students were, like, so amazing. They were, they were, um, you know, like, proud to be in that classroom Mm -hmm. to learn about their culture, and, and, like, you know, they, they didn't want to, uh, they were uh, like one student said, like, um, I don't like coming to school, but when I come to this class, it's like amazing. Yeah. I think it really speaks to the importance of building community and seeing that we are all connected. Mm-hmm. That, you know, not looking at people and seeing deficits, but looking at people and seeing 
their assets and seeing what skills and talents that they bring to each space mm-hmm. and how they are so you know they can they can really shine they can teach they can show their skills to everyone else and it's amazing mm-hmm. i think it's a wonderful example of uh if the school isn't working for you then the school isn't working that um the school from this particular film uh was discussing uh a school where they had a very very low graduation rate for mm-hmm. latino latina students um and I, and that is completely unacceptable um and that changed for a large part when they had the these ethnic studies classes and were able to support the identity of these students mm-hmm. and to show them that they mattered mm-hmm. and to show them that they're seen because if white is seen as norm and not seen um as like a race then students don't see themselves mm-hmm. in history they don't see themselves in school or in positions of power um and that just really makes me think of the quote from uh richie perez to all our brothers and sisters in school if your school's messed up if the administration and the teachers don't care and don't teach don't let them force you to drop out throw them out the schools belong to us not them take all that anger and put into work for our people make a revolution inside the schools if schools don't function for us they then they don't function at all mm-hmm. all power to our people um <laughs> yeah it's such an empowering statement um and just seeing these students and Eric like you were saying uh how this class changed their perspective of school mm-hmm. and they were graduating and they were feeling empowered like they were capable of making a difference and they were um be going to college mm-hmm. and they were fighting mm-hmm. to keep these classes because as one um a young girl in the documentary was saying like I want my younger sister to be able to have these classes that's how mm-hmm. important it is for her she was fighting for her younger sister um and I think that a society that is historically based on white supremacy um is probably just intimidated by the idea of other people rising up mm-hmm. um and i think we really saw that with the politician in arizona really trying to smush the efforts to continue these courses right and him like saying oh when i went to that classroom they were acting they were you know this is not how they are in you know normal uh, in the classroom they were acting because i was there yeah like how do how do you know how do you yeah right do you have a camera somewhere or something yeah Yeah. what i'm usually spying on them it doesn't look like them yeah when when I was listening to the podcast Decolonizing the University, I actually mm-hmm. I kept thinking about this film, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, it talked a lot about the importance of changing curriculum to reflect students' lived experiences. Oh, yeah. And that really, you know, in, in their example, they talked about addressing the silences in curriculum. And that's mm-hmm. something that really came up in this, um, this documentary as well. And their example was the Haitian Revolution. But yeah. a lot of, there are a lot of silences in our, our curriculum, and we need to talk about them. And this can be really hard to do, as the the, um, the decolonizing the university talked about is, you know, when we think about uh, expectations and what teachers are expected to teach, mm-hmm. you know, it's the district may push something that's not what you believe in, mm-hmm. and also one one quote that came up in this um, this podcast, the decolonizing the university, was, it's not about adding color and stirring, mm-hmm. it's it's the idea of recenter refocus the curriculum to things that are relevant mm-hmm. it's not tokenism it's not let's put a couple drops here and there you oh, know yeah. mm-hmm. it's actually changing the curriculum mm-hmm. which precious knowledge showed yeah. a lot about you know yeah. mm-hmm. they did change the curriculum and the students were so engaged oh yeah i love the mantra that they always started with it like always mm-hmm. like okay would you like to read it with me okay <laughs> So, would you like to do this side and I'll do, we can do this other side. (laughs) Tu eres mi otro yo. You are my other me. Si te hago daño a ti. If if I I do do harm harm to you. Me hago daño a mi mismo. I I do do harm harm to myself. Si si te amo y respeto. If if I love love and respect respect you. Me amo y respeto yo. I I love love and respect respect myself. Aww. That's so sweet. Like... 
when, you know, when I was watching that documentary, I was like, I want to do a mantra in my own classroom. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, instead of doing the pre- pleasure of the leisure, yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. fuck the pleasure of the leisure. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is something Dr. G talked about at the beginning of the right. quarter for our community building exercises. Right. Thanks, Dr. G. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it also makes me think of the importance of teachers to do work outside the classroom and to be mm-hmm. present outside yes. the classroom yeah. and to reach out our tendrils into the community <laughs> and also into policy because yeah. um, uh, ourselves as a group of future teachers will soon be taking or have already taken a test called the NES oh. in order to be certified <laughs> teachers. And for an example in that test it's required for us to know mm-hmm. that um the primary drive of uh exploration to the americas was glory god and gold um so a very positive depiction and looking at the requirements for curriculum the requirements yeah. for testing um, and the knowledge that we are expecting teachers and students to regurgitate and challenging against that mm-hmm. um, with policy changes. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really important example of teachers being present yeah. inside and outside the classroom. Right. Yeah. And, and at, the, um, at the school that I was at, they did uh, you know, standardized testing and some mm-hmm. students opted out, some students didn't, you know, and I was, you know, okay with that I think that that's what how I'd be you know if, a, if the parents of you know one of my students said I don't want I don't want my child to take that test I wouldn't you know I would be fine with it yeah yeah so one question I want to get to before we leave I know we're running out of time <laughs> Is this last one of how do you plan to address some of the tensions that we introduced in school and society but left unresolved how will you engage with this and also teach to your students' lives? Mm. So for me, I can get this started, but I, I think a lot of the tensions that we left unresolved, we left that way because that's how they are in society. Right. Like, when I think of unresolved things, I think of, like, like it's like the idea of, like, we've introduced these readings for this week where we're about Black Lives Matter and mm-hmm. also about immigration, and those are big issues in yeah. our society that are not resolved. Mm-hmm. And it's going into the classroom knowing we aren't the only ones dealing with these tensions. Like, our students are dealing with these tensions. Mm -hmm. And for me, I feel like, I feel like in my classroom, we need to be, like, open about this. Mm -hmm. And be like, you know, let's talk about it. Yeah. Like, I... Oh, yeah. Sorry. I I totally agree. Um, And from my perspective, in looking at um, this kind of thought um, question, is thinking about our schools historically and our society historically and how we are kind of storytellers Mm -hmm. and as storytellers we like the story to be complete and finished we like them to have a happy ending Mm -hmm. we like to tell our children that um these terrible things happened in the past but they're done now Mm -hmm. um like people in elementary school now are taught that like racism is over And there are, you know, like, it's a thing in the past in the olden times when people had slavery, but now everything's fine. Um, And I think that both creates an inaccurate representation of history, but it also um, stunts opportunity for action Mm -hmm. and opportunity for empowerment of students to want to make a change. Because if you're told there's nothing to change, if you're told that these issues are resolved or done, then what is there left for you to do? When there's students in your class who see like the honest truth of things and they know that these things are still an issue, mm-hmm. um, but if they feel shut down by the curriculum saying that this is over or this is resolved, then they will have no way to engage. So I think that, as you were saying, Sam approaching our class with um, openness and not necessarily needing everything to be wrapped up in a bow Mm -hmm. and to say, we finished it, we did it, it's Mm -hmm. all done, but to teach our students that this is continual work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And like I was going to say, growing up, you know, in the school system, we didn't talk about race, racism. I learned that from my parents. I learned that from talking to my brother and my sister. Yeah. And I don't want the students in my classroom being like, 
close this podcast today with a final reflection um, and some parting words on school and society. Um, I really appreciate the space that we've been given this quarter to really look at multiple histories, multiple perspectives, Mm -hmm. issues that are new and old and, you know, in between. Mm -hmm. Um, Because these weren't addressed in my schooling. Mm -hmm. A lot of of things we've talked about in class, like I didn't have the opportunity to talk about this Mm -hmm. in an open format when I was in school, if it was even brought up. Mm -hmm. And I think it really set an example for what I want in my class of, you know what, this is... Oh, this is part of our society that's screwed up. Let's talk about it. What can we do? Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate the space that we were given. And it also really, it really showed me we have a long way to go. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of work to do. And it's a little daunting, but it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And yeah. yeah. Well, for me, um, I feel like taking this class made me more like wanting to go out and you know, protest. Yeah. Do more, yeah. do more of a change. Like, um, walk out to work, right? <laughs> walk out. Hey. <laughs> um, but yeah, like, you know how people are like, Oh, let's just do our thoughts and prayers. I'm mm-hmm. like, no, yeah. we don't need thoughts and prayers. Mm-hmm. We need to change something. Mm-hmm. Action based action. We need something to, you know, let's screw thoughts and prayers. Let's, Let's get, you know, um, people, you know, in the Olympia to help change something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, this class as a whole really makes me think of the Audre Lorde quote about the master's tools mm-hmm. never being able to dismantle the master's house. Our current educational system was created and rooted in a systemically racist society. And in order to change that, in order to to teach for a new society, we need to both understand those master's tools and work to change them and move away from them. This class for me helped me be able to see the master's tools for what they are and to be able to critically uh, analyze and question the school system and not just accept the status quo of this is just the way we do it. So I will move forward in my teaching career having a much more critical lens and a much more challenging lens of our school system in order to um, change the master's tools to something that can better everyone. Um, Thank you so much for listening to our School and Society podcast. Today we discussed teaching for a new society. I'm Stephanie Aragon. I'm Sam Christie. I'm Erica Heinemann. Thank you so much.